The world is a new place, and we're all making adjustments. It moves faster and changes direction more frequently than ever before. People feel stuck, unfulfilled, and lost in their lives. I hear this all too often. Where are the answers? Someone please just give me the answers. Well, what if I told you the answers are finally here? My name is Scott McDonald, and I was once just like you. Join me on my process of personal development, pathway of success, and pursuit of happiness. For you see, my job isn't just to ask questions. My job isn't to just listen. My job is to ensure what happened to me does not happen to you. This is the Real Experience Student Athlete Podcast. Today I'm joined by former uh, ECHL and NCAA hockey player, Scott Jacklin, all the way from Switzerland. Scott, it's great to have you here today. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, pretty good, bud. It's going to be funny going Scott and Scott back forth. But uh, for all you guys guys and gals out there who don't know, uh, uh, Scott, also known as Jacko, or as I call him, Jax, uh, played hockey in North America here. We met through a good friend of ours, Cody Creighton, who's going to be on uh, in a couple of episodes from now. And uh, you guys uh, met back when from your uh, Robert Morris days in the NCAA playing Div 1, right? Yeah, my uh, freshman year, he was a senior. So, And then um, reunited with him when uh, we worked together for you at OHC. So. That was a couple of years later, and uh, definitely he changed a little bit since I'd played with him. So, but it was all for the better. So it was good. Yeah, and that's one thing that Cody and I are going to touch on in his episode there. But uh, what we're going to be talking about today, um, when uh, we uh, when I invited you to be on this podcast, was about the uh, relationship uh, between players and coaches and um, the effective ways of communicating to them. And I know, especially with you being uh, from British Columbia and me being from Toronto, there's definitely a different uh, mentality when it comes to uh, the go-go or the laid-back lifestyle mentality. So uh, um, basically, I just wanted to uh, have our audience uh, get some, uh, just for you to reflect on your experience there. So what I'd like to do, um, you know, obviously playing up in BC, playing in BC, it's a lot different in Ontario. So uh, what would you say is kind of the, uh, the different mentality and approach and lifestyle between the two provinces? Uh, from your minor hockey days? This is like going before junior even. Um, well, I just the biggest difference was um, like we weren't so stressed out about just playing hockey. You know, we played, all of us growing up, played all sorts of different sports. And, um, you know, when you're in a small town, uh, you play a lot of different sports. And I think... Um, I don't know. There wasn't like a lot of pressure to like succeed or um, do any of that kind of stuff. Like we didn't have a lot of players as it was like when we were growing up playing hockey, you know, sometimes we had maybe two lines max. So you're, you're out there all the time. And um, I don't know if that, I think that like probably helped in development for a lot of, a lot of us that were, uh, coming from a small town 
and we had some good players come from there too. So, you know, we had a, some good uh, competitiveness within uh, our own teams as well. So um, I think just like this, um, I don't know, but just the, the pressure and, you know, there wasn't like uh, you need to go do this and you make the NHL or, you know, play pro hockey or get a scholarship. There was nothing like that. Um, like we were told that those could be options if you wanted to pursue hockey, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like, uh, I don't know. I just feel like in Toronto there's, or, uh, bigger places, the, a lot of players carry a lot of burden to like be successful and, uh, pursue hockey at, from such a young age when they don't really, they might not even know what they want to do. So so like that's definitely the, the thing here too in, in toronto you know compared to where you grew up because i know i think it was like seven or eight thousand people you said from like where your hometown is and everyone's got to drive a couple hours to get to the rink right no so we had like we had a we had a rink in our town like all the towns have rinks so that's why there's so little players because there's there's not that many people that live in the, the town so oh okay gotcha um, yeah, so uh, um, we didn't have to. We had to drive like twenty minutes um, when I was in Bantam to go play for like the next level up team in Cranbrook, which was twenty minutes away. But that was, uh, you know, twenty minutes isn't very far. So no, we can do that here for sure. I thought you had mentioned that before, but it could have been another conversation we had many moons ago back at the old OHC gym days. Um, so, like yeah. you know, here here in Toronto and most major metropolitans. You have coaches who are in it because they're passionate about it. And that's what, you know, a lot of players respond well to. You have coaches who are being paid and it's their job. And they're, if they're not winning, even in minor hockey or minor sports in general, because it's, it's in all sports now, um, that communication is kind of kibosh because it's more of a my way or the highway approach. So, uh, you know, between the two, and we'll start obviously going back to BC, um, in your minor hockey days before you got to junior, what was the communication like between your coaches and yourself when it was about like, Hey, I want to make this jump and I want to, you know, pursue this dream and, and, and get on the right path. Was it supportive? Was it, you know, um, yeah, sounds good. Let's just go about it and figure it out. Or, uh, did you have anyone kind of try to uh, put up a roadblock to you at any point? Um, well, it's kind of hard to, I don't know about compare, but, um, you know, like I was coached, like, like my dad was my coach when I was like younger. So up until I was Bantam, I'd had my dad as a coach. So, um, it was a bit of like an adjustment to have somebody else as a coach, but, um, I don't know, like the coaches always, you know, they always like gave you the options of like, you know, where you could go and, what like you know there was never any like barriers to like you're not good enough to go play here or um that kind of stuff like but lots of like all the coaches I played for in minor hockey were none of them were ever paid I don't think maybe they had like their um I think maybe in Bantam maybe he was paid a bit but not much yeah just the gas money basically probably just like travel, travel money. So like these got people are doing it just because they love hockey. But um, obviously, you get the you would have like you always have the politics in hockey. You know, with the with, if a, if any coach is a parent of the of the team of uh, a kid on the team. But there's just you know there's a shortage of like of coaches out there especially coaches that, in my opinion, know what they're doing or know what they're talking about. But, um, you know, there's just a shortage. So, like, somebody has to coach the, t- the kids, right? So, um, you know, when you get into those bigger bigger cities, like, sometimes there's somebody coaching that has no idea what they're talking about. But they're it's- the only ones that are willing, willing to sacrifice their time to coach coach the team, so... Yeah, def- it's definitely gone to the quality over quantity, or sorry, quantity over quality approach in a lot of minor sports. Um, and I know it's going all over. So, you know, 
obviously with you, it's, you know, you had a much more probably nurtured type of development pathway throughout your athletic career. What's your opinion on the way coaches and players communicate in, in a bigger center like Toronto, for example, you know, and obviously we're, you're, we're talking on hockey, but and this can go for really anyone in any sports. Cause obviously in Texas, their football programs are way bigger than what we have here in Ontario uh, or anywhere in Canada. So it can relate, but what's your opinion on, um, you know, kind of the, my way or the highway approach that some of these coaches are taking and, and how, how do you, how would you approach that as a player today? if you were trying to get through to your coach on something that's, uh, that's not fitting right? Um, well, I, I think it's, uh, just unfortunate if, uh, if the coach is, uh, pursuing the, you know, my way or the highway. Um, because at the end of the day, like, I don't know if he's going to be able to get uh, like the absolute utmost out of everybody. If he like isn't building relationships with his, uh, with the players, you know, other than like, you have to be, I don't know. I, I feel like as a player, if you're, um, if you have like a good relationship with your coach, you're going to, he's going to be able to get more out of you as a player, like vice versa. Um, when you're working with a coach like that, whereas, you know, if there's a coach that's always telling you, you know, you need to do this, that, and, um, like, that's the only opportunity you have. Like, um, I feel like sometimes they're not going to get the most out of your game if, because everyone responds differently to uh, different coaching as well. So maybe that works for some kids, but I feel like on, on, on average, like kids, you know, kids want to have, uh, I would, I would say like constructive criticism and, more than uh you know just like straight line and you know that kind of coaching i don't know if that makes sense or yeah, if be, that was just tangent. but yeah be be pushed but don't be degraded by the by the coaching staff basically so here, here's yeah, a yeah so here's a, here's a scenario then um for anyone of any sport any athlete and let's use u15 or bantam as the age group so we're talking you know, 14, 15 year olds, sometimes 13 if they're playing underage. Um, and there's communication is not going well between coaching staff, management staff, and the, those players. It's a pretty hard time for, you know, it can be intimidating at that age to approach your coach. You have parents who will say, no, you're on your own for you to figure this out. And they want them to develop those communication skills. And then there's also the parents that will approach it where mom and dad will step in on it. But for the players who are listening to this and any athlete, um, what would you say is the, the best approach when you feel like something's wrong? And, you know, obviously there's nothing that's in a crisis, but if, if a player really feels like they're not getting the most out of the program and they're not being the best they're available to be to the program, how, how would, how would, what would you say to the audience just to, approach coaches in a more effective manner i think just like having um i don't know just being able to to attempt that communication with them and like let them know how you're feeling because um like lots of players think that you know their coach doesn't like them or that they're doing a certain thing wrong but at the end of the day you know if if you have like a lot maybe teams have a coach and an assistant coach but that's so that's two people to look over to like normally 20 players and at the end of the day you know like it's hard for them to um not necessarily like coddle every player but to like have a good feeling of how every player's feeling um like that's just like that has to i don't know that I, for me that's just like a nut like Sometimes they don't even know that maybe they're uh, they're they're not playing you how you'd like to be played or um, like that. Like that could just they could just be like, oh, I didn't know that that was the case. Like, um, and then it, it maybe it's a quick fix, or um, you know, you can ask, you know, what what can I do better in order to get to where I want to be, you know, like and if it's 
if the coach um, like in that instance, like the coach will always have something to tell you, right? Instead of if you were going in there to make demands, like you're gonna lo probably lose the respect of the coach and even slide further down the the pole. So I think the best way to approach it is just like how you can improve yourself and at the end of the day you're playing for a team like you want you want to help the team succeed and when the team uh, is going to succeed you know you're going to succeed as a player as well I think uh, a lot of kids even um, professionals if you look uh, you know at professional like the young professional kids playing in the NHL um, I think sometimes they're they're self-consumed and uh, they're not willing to do the extra, like the, the extra stuff to help the team win. So uh, I don't know. I think that's the best way to approach it is, you know, always always be open and open to communicating with the coach. Um, I know it's sometimes it's hard and but every every time I've ever like approached a coach like not feeling the greatest about something like after I've talked to him I've always felt better about it even if even if I didn't get like the like a good feeling about what had happened like I still feel you still you get that relief um of getting that whatever it is off your chest would you say that you know for all the minor at like minor level athletes so everyone who's hasn't gotten to their junior or development or preparatory level of sport yet <clears throat> Would you say heading into before making com a commitment to the team that when you're when you're talking to the coach who's recruiting you to make sure that there are open lines of communication where it's not to be a you know uh, it's more of an open door policy and not a only come to me in a crisis policy? Um, do you think that's that that's a good that should be one thing that that athletes and families should uh, always ask uh, before heading into a commitment on any team? I mean, I, for me, like, I don't really have a ton of experience in that because, you know, we only had certain places we could play. But, um, like, in the GTA, there's there's so many, like, you can – I don't know. There's, like, less – it seems like there's less restrictions on, you know, like, where you can choose to play or have your kids play. So, I think that has to be uh, – has to be important for – kids committing to teams is knowing that there's an open line of communication and um yeah i think that's that's important for I, that's got to be one of the most important things uh when looking at a, a team talk to me about the uh your time in the bchl so that's the uh that's the junior uh tier two junior level of the of western canada um you know, you start out there and now you're out of the minor hockey realm, you're into the junior realm. Uh, how did you find that adjustment period for you? You know, obviously, like you said, you have a, your dad who's coaching you up until Bantam and now you're going into your junior hockey career and it's different people, different personalities, different environment. Uh, how did you find that? And, you know, from a social standpoint, was it something that was a bigger adjustment for you? And did you have any uh, uh, trials or tribulations? Or did, did you have the skill set already to ease into it from a social standpoint? Um, well, I, well, for me, actually, um, like I went right from Bantam to, to Junior B. So I played two years of Junior B at 15 and 16. So... Um, I think obviously that helped my transition into the BCHL, but um, at the end of the day, when I, I mean I was 15 playing with 20-year-old guys in junior B, so um, as everybody knows, that that's kind of two different points in your life. Um, 15, you're you know you're just starting to mature, and when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, you're, you're just finishing your high school and you're, you're trying to figure out what you want to do. Um, you're working and obviously doing, uh, you know, the social life is a big part of that as well. So, um, for me, it was, a, it took me a while to adjust to that, um, to that aspect, but, um, I was also lucky enough to play with my older brother, um, for in, while I was playing junior B. So. Um, 
you know, I kind of had him uh, on my side, I guess, or like as one of my mentors um, within the team. So the, that kind of maybe made the transition a little bit easier, like not feeling so much of the peer pressure and that kind of stuff. Uh, when you have your brother around, older brother around, it uh, definitely helps out a bit. Um, and then, uh, you know, mo- I didn't actually, like, my my dad still lived with uh, me and my brother while I was uh, playing uh, Junior B for the first year when I was 15. And then I lived with a billet family this when I was 16. But then I moved to Vancouver Island when I was 17, and that was... Uh, pretty far from home so I was you know 12 12 or 13 hours away from home and uh not a lot of friends and that kind of stuff to start but um I don't know as everybody knows in the hockey world uh some of your best friends you you meet playing hockey so um yeah that was probably the biggest adjustment was just moving to home away from home the first month was a little bit hard doing school and not knowing it a lot of people but as you go along, you meet new people and make friends. So how did you, how did you find when, when you did go away and, you know, again, going back to like the, uh, the social aspect and that communication aspect, um, what was it like, you know, when you were just literally on your own, like your brother's not there, dad's not there. Um, was it more of a, you know, head down, mouth shut, do the job or, did you speak up when the time was meant to speak up and actually express, Hey, this is what's going on with me. Um, yeah, I wasn't like, I wouldn't say I was super vocal in my first year. Um, when I was on bank, uh, in bank. Is that by choice? Would that be by choice or by design? Um, that, that was more like just like a personal choice. Like, um, you know, I was, I was finding a bit of success, while I was out there and I was having fun and, um, you know, I thought I was given like a pretty good opportunity to play within my game. And, um, you know, I didn't really have like a lot really to say or contribute to that far as, as far as that goes. Cause you know, I'm still, uh, still trying to, still trying to, um, uh sorry lost my train of thought there oh sorry i know because i'm that paint that ping kind of threw me off too but you're talking about uh uh, you know when you when you went to vancouver island and the uh went to vancouver island and you know kind of not speaking up in the first year and then as time goes on your role changes and uh yeah yeah So, so um and the next year uh i was playing in couch and valley again and the you know it wasn't really going the way i wanted it to and i wasn't sure how to you know how to go about it like do i do i ask for a trade like what do i do so i decided yeah and you know this is my second year in the league Uh, i thought i would be getting a, a little bit better opportunity uh to play a little bit more and I just I just didn't feel like I was getting the same opportunity that I had the previous year, so I decided to ask for a trade, and then I ended up uh, coming to Trail, and that was where I ended my uh, BCHL career. And uh, that my my second year when I was 18 was a tough tough season for me. You know, I didn't have uh, the offensive output that I had the year before, and it was. Uh, it was frustrating for me, but, um, you know, I learned a lot and that was the first time I'd ever, well, I guess not the first time I'd asked for a trade, but, um, how did that conversation go by the, like, obviously you're probably going in feeling pretty antsy about that. And how was the reaction from the management and what was your feelings during those conversations? Well, to be honest, uh, I, they didn't want to trade me when I was there, but um, I asked I asked for a trade, and he said, uh, "We don't we don't want to trade you. Like let's let's try and work through this." And I said, 
absolutely let's try and work through this and I gave it a couple more weeks and it just you know just wasn't working out so I had to ask for a trade again <laughs> were they understanding yeah, that second time were they understanding that second time or were they heated by uh, no by no request? they were understanding I mean when you, anytime I don't know like I haven't coached a lot but I feel like anytime a player is has the you know has the gumption to ask for a trade you know that's uh that's got to be you know shows something that they care that they care and they want to have a they want to change the scenery you know I mean in some instances I can see that maybe you know you ask for a trade just out of spite or you uh, don't want to try and make it work out but I think uh that that's just uh, sometimes it's best for both parties if uh, if you need to move on. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of young athletes, you know, in, in their development stage and in their collegiate stage, <clears throat> they have that fear of, I'm not, I, I can't go to the coach because then that's going to, you know, I'll be blackballed, I'll be kicked out, I'll be this. They, there's a lot of, they, they sell themselves that they're going to lose the battle and, be yelled at or be looked down upon before going in but with your experiences so far that you're talking about you've gone in said hey this is how I'm feeling what can we do let's try to work it out hey it's still not working out you know I think this has to move on and 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 it's been a successful process so would you say that you know going into those conversations you have to understand your side their side and you know be willing to you know there's 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 give and take in those conversations do you think the give and take approach is is good for the conversation rather than the no get me the hell out of here and if you don't well then i'm just going to kick and scream yeah i mean you have to you have to go about it in the proper manner you know they they want to see that you show them respect you know that's a big thing for that kind of relationship is to show respect and one when you show respect, uh, you should get it back normally with all, with all the people that I've had the opportunity to work with, that that's been the case, you know, you show them respect and they show respect back to you. And as long as you're willing to try and make, make it work, um, you know, they're going to try and do their best to help out the players. At the end of the day, most coaches want to help their players feel good about themselves and, you know, be successful. And I think a lot of, a lot of players, maybe in, maybe that's more so in the, in the Toronto area feel like if they fail on one team that they're going to be done for, like they're never going to make it anywhere else. But at the end of the day, you know, your work ethic and uh, the way that you go about your hockey career is, is up to you and, you know, you can't let someone else tell you where you're supposed to go and how you're supposed to get there. So, and it's it's interesting that you brought that part up because I deal with a lot of families who will ask me for advice. You know, I get you know half a dozen phone calls at least a day, and there are a lot of families, uh, parents, and players who feel, well, I have to do what my coach says because if I leave, you know, he's got connections or she has connections. And they'll ruin my future. And I always tell them that's not the case. And then I say to them too, if that is the case, what the hell are you doing around that kind of person in the first place? Um, and I think that's the difference really between, you know, when you're, when you're in a crazy metropolitan where there's a, where it's the Mecca of a sport compared to where you've gone. And uh, you know, people develop the relationship between management coaches, player, rather than here where it's more, the role like they're playing the role of the boss you know and i think that's one thing yeah. we've touched on here is you know the development of those relationships is so important so um one thing that just uh, actually kind of uh, as you were talking kind of jolted into my mind because now i want to move into your ncaa days and uh, a lot of our audience uh they don't know what they're getting into when they go into their their freshman year and things to prepare for and i remember um cody creighton was telling me his freshman year it was, uh, I believe, Schooley was Derek Schooley was was the coach when he first got there too, correct? And yeah, he was saying, he's been the coach the time, yeah. yeah, he's been there for years, and uh, 
you know, Cody coming in being the offensive star that he was in, uh, in, in tier two here in Ontario, uh, he, he told them in, in the first meeting, and this is what I, this is where I'm getting at the first player coach meeting. When you go to your NCAA, uh, uh, club, he said, you play top six minutes or you don't play at all. And, uh, he was taken back by that. Is, is that something that you experienced? And if not, what was your freshman year first player coach meeting with, with Derek Schooley like? Um, well, I had a interesting freshman year, so, um, but as far as that kind of stuff goes, uh, they wanted me to develop my defensive game more. And, you know, that was kind of one of the stressors, uh, when I was a freshman was that I needed to develop my, my uh, defensive game more. And when I was coming up, I would say maybe our our class was maybe one of the last classes that had this kind of dynamic was uh, that, I mean, at least in my opinion, maybe this is that, maybe that's only it, but we had a lot of upperclassmen. So we had a lot of seniors and uh, juniors when I came in and um, you, we would have to basically take their spot. So um at the end of the day, college is a whole nother animal because you're there for four, four years. And it's not as easy as just asking for a trade because, um, you know, it's, it's not that simple in the college, uh, in the college scheme. You, you have to, if you want to play in NCAA again, you need to, you have to sit out a year if you change schools. And so that's, so that, that's kind of a different animal in uh, the college college world is that you don't have uh you don't have so much flexibility so you really need to stress on those the player coach relationship to you know try and have try and get on the same page and work you you have you almost have to work through it if you want to find some success so so and that's interesting that you brought that up about, you know, they wanted you to focus on the development game because really like, and again, going back to when I talked to Cody about the Robert Morris days he went into, and we'll expand on that in his episode. Um, you know, you walk in there your first day and there's a dozen other people like you who were top scorers in your provincial or state junior leagues. And now you got your coach saying, well, no, this is what you're here for now. So when you, ha- when you were told about your defensive game, what was your reaction uh, to that? And, and was that something that caught you completely off guard where you thought, Hey, I'm coming in here to, you know, hopefully get top six, uh, top six minutes and special teams. And I'll, I'll have a, a, you know, a point getter year. And now it's like, well, no, we're going to utilize you as, as a defensive role player. Uh, so what was your reaction to that? And uh, you know, based on that was, did you get to that point? And if you did, did it, did that strengthen the relationship that you had moving forward with your coaches? Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it was, they wanted me to improve on my defensive game. So I wasn't strictly relied on as only to play defense, but um, that when I was recruited uh, by the, by the coaches there, they'd asked, they said that they think that I needed to work on my defensive game before I'd even been at Robert Morris. So, you know, I, I think going in, going into college, I knew that I needed to improve on my defensive game, um, in order to be successful at that level. And, you know, I was, so, so it was, it was, it was hard to, you know, to, to have, uh, to have to focus on that. But I think in the end, it made me a, like a, a better overall player. And, you know, I think everybody has uh, trials and tribulations with their coaches as they're going along um, in school. But, uh, but yeah, I thought I was, I was always able to, you know, ask the coaches what, what I thought I needed to do better in order to get to where I wanted to be within Robert Morris. And, um, but by the end of my time there, I was able to um, – I was able to have a great, great communication with the coaches and uh, even have more, 
more input and feedback with them as far as how the guys were feeling about certain things and, you know, trying to work more of a two-way street rather than a one-way street. And I think that that helped us have grow our success there as a program as uh, we went along. So when they said about, you know, improve your defensive game, it's a, it's a, it sounds like it's more of a yes, sir response. Um, so for, you know, and that's, and that's one thing I've, I've talked to about uh, with, with athletes too, is like, Hey, you might be the superstar here, but you might need to improve on other things. And no one likes to, everyone wants to be the star, but no one wants to do the little things and work on those that could really put them over the top as a player. Um, so did you feel any kind yeah, of, exactly. did you feel any kind of, did you feel like resistance towards that idea or were you all in and, and that made the transition easier? And if not more difficult, if, you, no, if, I think, if there was resistance? I think I was all, all in, but at, at times, you know, if you're sitting out games or not playing as much as you'd like, obviously you're going to be frustrated. But if you have a, if you have a reason as to why you're not in that spot, then that gives you a reason to work on stuff and try and improve in that area. So, so uh, what would you, what would you me, say? That, yeah, go ahead. Uh, just like for me that, you know, created a, like I went on to, you know, I didn't, pen, I didn't do a lot of penalty killing while I was in Robert Morris. Maybe like I, on and off, not a ton, but like when I went on to play my professional career, I did a lot of penalty killing. And I think, you know, that's kind of stuff help helped me in that part of my game to, to help the team win. So, you know, like you can draw parallels to stuff that you learn as you go along that will help you as your, as your uh, career progresses. So for, the, back. so for the superstar athlete who's listening, uh, what's your advice when they're given, when the, when the the coach that's recruiting them to the NCAA or to U Sports in Canada, what's your advice to them if they're told you may be the top offensive star going, but we need you to up the ante on the defensive side? What what would be your advice? Would it be to, you know, immediately understand and go through with it and and smash through that resistance? Uh, I think it, like it, it's hard to say really, but at the end of the day, you just have to, you know, work as hard as you can and, and try and improve in aspects that they're letting you know. If they, if they come to you and just say it's a numbers game or, you know, stuff that's going to confuse you, then you know that probably you're good enough to be playing, but they have a, a, they have maybe they have some sort of different agenda or they see someone else in a better spot. But I think the most important thing is to be able to improve on, you know, you, you need to always want to be able to get better. You can't think that you're the best all the time because, you know, there's always going to be somebody that's better than you. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're playing a team sport. It's not individual. So you need to, Always be open-minded. Yeah, be open-minded and, you know, try and make your game as round as you can make it, not just, you know, one-dimensional. One because, yeah, you need people to score, but at the end of the day, you, you have to score and you can't give up a bunch of goals either, so. Oh, there you go. When you yeah. – so now we're, we're transitioning out of, you know, college, and now we're getting into your, uh, your pro career, which started in 2015 in the ECHL and, and what you're still like, you know, your season just ended this year due to the whole pandemic that we're going through right now. Um, but now this, now this is changing and this is, this is for, you know, our listeners out there who are, you know, leaving their collegiate career or they're leaving their, their uh, major junior development league to go semi-pro or pro. And now it's a job. It's not a, uh, it's not the, you know, scholastic fun and games anymore. The student athlete days are over. And now you have to, you know, fend for your job. So how much more does the communication really take onus 
and how much more value does your communication skills have with those coaches? Because I know you've, you've had some uh, difficulty um, during your time with, with uh, coaches not giving you what you thought was uh, a fair shake and vice versa and, uh, and getting more out of you. So how much more, how much more amplified does communication become when you start to deal at a pro pro level? Well, it's, it's just a, a whole nother thing that it's just different because like you said, it's your job now. So you have more to worry about than um, where you're going to park your car when you move to the next city. Uh, you have to worry about, you know, how much, like if you're going to have a job still. And, you know, I think once I got to playing pro, yes, like communication was, uh, is, has always been important with like wherever I played, I've always tried to be open and communicate as much as I can. But at the end of the day, you know, there's now you're at, now you're now the, now you're shrinking the group of players that, that you're playing or competing against or with even smaller. So now the players are even better. And I think when, you know, you have to have like the drive and like the hot, like high compete level all the time, willing to like put in the extra work so that, you know, if, if you're not the best player that you're going to, they're going to keep you around because you, you, you bring like you bring another element to the to the table rather than you know only score goals or you know more of a leadership kind of, role and yeah, dressing like, room role yeah dressing room role and just like hard work compete ready to like do whatever it takes to win um so i think you know communication at the pro level is is a little bit different because when at least in north america it's it's a, a little different because there's you have there's more I don't know if there's there there is more politics because of you know the NHL and the the drafting so when you come into playing in the ECHL and you're undrafted and you're just coming out of college there's a lot of players that are looking for a place to play coming out of college that have you know have have a decent resume and and then you have the guys that are above you that are on NHL and AHL contracts that maybe they aren't as maybe in my opinion they aren't as skilled or you know work as hard as you but they're on a different uh contract than you so it's another animal that you have to you know try and you have to work and compete almost twice as hard just to to keep your job when you have when you're playing against guys that have have a guaranteed contract so my contracts were always week to week when I was in the ECHL so um yeah let's in in game communication how much of a difference and so let's start between the transition of junior to university the because things can get heated as we know during games yeah how uh, does it get better or worse? Like, or let me rephrase that. Does it become more professional or does it become more intense and stern when you get to the next level? What do you like within a player coach relationship or player to player? Let's, let's talk about when, when you're on the bench on the sidelines and you just did your play, you just did your shift, you get off and coach is walking down and you know that they're going to coach has got something to say to you. Did you find in the NCAA compared to junior that the communication of, cause we know in junior there's, you know, a lot of, as we said, there's a shortage of good coaches and a lot of people think yell and scream is the way to do it. So when you get, we're in the NCAA yeah. was schooly and not just him, but really anyone that, that you knew of, um, did you find that the, the communication on the bench is more professional or do you, did you find it, it could just be, it's professional, but they're, they're really on you now because this is their job is to win hockey games. So I don't, it's hard to say really. I, to be honest, I was, as you're wording the question, I was trying to uh, like recall instances that I would have any sort of exchange 
on on the bench and and if not and if not those two levels was it like that in when you got to the pro leagues see like the coach it's there wasn't so much like i feel like there's not a ton of communication from player coach on the bench other than uh positive like reinforcement because if you're going to negative if you're going to be negative on the bench then that's not going to help anybody play good so yeah so for they, me if i for me i would just if if there was any negativity i would just you know try and tune it out or not even listen uh to what was being said but um so and i think more instances it was more a positive uh criticism if any or just positive feedback as well as far as uh, what uh, what what happened on the last shift, that kind of stuff. But lots of coaches get into the game and they're watching the game and the players are playing. So uh, most of the, f- I, I'd say most of the communication is done in between periods or after the games, before the games. You know, when when you get to the professional or you know in college, you're you're watching video on who you're playing for the weekend all week long. So you, the amount of preparation you're putting in to play two games is, uh, it's insane to think about how much time you're putting into to playing those two games against the one team. So you know exactly every play that they have. I mean, you should, because that's kind of what, kind of your job. So, you know, you know, the breakouts, power play, penalty kill, face-off plays, like the amount of, the amount of uh, information you have to process is it grows and grows as your as your career goes along, as far as being in North America because it's such a system systematic game where there's so many like that's kind of how the coaches can control not control the game but if they can give you options and different ways to play the game that's kind of their job is to is the tactics so as you're going along, you need to be able to like process information faster, I guess, and be able to have all that stuff in the memory bank as you're playing. Now, you know, you're currently in Europe in uh, Switzerland. I know you, you played for in France and then you played also in Scotland this, uh, this season. Um, and I think that's one thing in North America that a lot of the athletes don't know of the opportunities out in Europe. How have you found the pro leagues out in Europe and, and do you find it to be, you know, obviously the, the, the big 20 year, no cut contracts are in North America, but do you find the culture or environment to be better in the European leagues than, than in North America? Are you having a better experience in Europe than you did when playing in the uh, East coast hockey league? Um, I think, I think it's just uh, different to be honest. Different, to be honest, just a uh, completely different kind of way they, they play the game over here. It's not so much uh, systems. There is systems in place, but it's more of, you know, there's a lot more freedom. So for me, the adjustment uh, that way was a little bit harder because of having played in, the, like, the last three years, having, like, more regimented uh, – you know, game plans going into games. Whereas <clears throat> I think in Europe, they, it's more, uh, it's kind of almost like a freestyle hockey, you know, they're kind of, you know, let the skill take over and uh, not so stressed about each certain, certain systems and certain, certain places. So for me, that was a bit of an adjustment to make that way. And yeah, I mean, I'd say in Scotland, when I was there, it was more, we did play a little bit more North American style game, so that... There's a lot of North me, Americans in that league too, isn't there? Yeah, so they have, I think they have eight, 17 or 18 imports they can have, so they have a lot of uh, North American players, so it's it's a bit more North American style game, so... But I I did enjoy all the places I've played over here and uh, the culture is, is just a lot different. You know, it's a lot, the pace of life is not as fast and 
you know, you have more job security over here with your contracts as far as, you know, if they're going to send you home, they have to pay your, your contract out. So um, you don't have that, you don't have that push and you, you don't have, uh, so it's kind of hard though, because you don't have the, the drive to, well, obviously the drive is to play in better leagues once you get over here not you know make it to the american hockey league and then the nhl so it's kind of a different mentality when you get over here as far as um that that kind of goes you kind of have to worry about yourself as far as like where you want to get to because a lot of imports are in the same position so for the athletes the student athletes that are listening to this and who have you know different opportunities whether it's hockey basketball you know soccer um, would you say that, you know, looking into the European professional leagues is a good option? Like, would you say that the, you know, you, you can still have your good quality of life as an athlete by playing over in Europe? Absolutely. I think you can have a great quality of life and you can experience different culture and travel and meet new people and network. I mean, it's just, there's so much of the world that, a lot of people haven't been able to see and for for athletes to be able to experience all this stuff like on somebody else's dime and being able to be able to pay and being paid to do it as uh you know it's a it's a pretty nice privilege to be able to do that and you know they most of the, most of the leagues over here play less games than they do back there so it tends to be able to possibly make uh, people's careers a little bit longer if they if they come over to Europe. Um, no, it's definitely uh, it's almost like a pay a working a paid working vacation basically. <laughs> uh, when, yeah. when you say it, well, hey, um, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. But the one question that I'm asking uh, all the guests on the show, I asked this to Spencer Anderson yesterday in our first episode that had well, it's our second episode with Spencer, but he was our first guest that we had. And uh, the question is, if you could sit down with your 16-year-old self, knowing what all the stuff you know now, what would you say to that, that person and, and to, to be more prepared moving forward? Um, to be honest, I, don't, I think I would just say, do you, man, because I've, I don't know, I don't have any regrets in any any facet of where I've been or where I've gone and um, yeah I would just say you know you gotta you gotta always go with your gut and you know yeah that's gonna make you gotta feel good about where you are so and when I wasn't when I was unhappy I, I tried to make a change uh, first like within myself and then if that didn't help then I would you know look at other avenues to to, to moving to a different place or a different team but and for all, yeah, all I our I don't know what I would say I don't I'm not, I'm not really too sure what I would say to my 16 year old self and there you go sometimes we're just figuring out day by day well there you have it you heard it from Scott Jacklin that sometimes just being yourself is all you really need to do to get through this whole crazy process Jax, it's been great. Love seeing your face again. I'm really digging the uh, the new spectacles that you got rocking there. It's always nice to know you still keep your uh, your uh, fashion sense in order. And I appreciate you, you being on the uh, episode here. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Big Mac. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Hope all is well. Awesome. Thanks. Take care, buddy. You too.